Welcome to Advantage Over, the only global rugby podcast to help you become a better referee. Your host today is Keith Lewis. Are you ready? Time on. Hello, it's Keith Lewis here from RugbyRefree.net and I'm here to welcome you back to the Advantage Over podcast um, or maybe just to welcome you to the Advantage Over podcast if this is your first listen. It's great to have you with us um, and I think we're the only refereeing podcast around the world here to, to bring you sort of news, tips, advice and guidance um, in how to be a match official in the great game of rugby union. Um, so you're very welcome to be with us. Um, if this is your first listen, then hello. Um, you'll find that there's plenty of episodes um, that I've recorded over the last few years that you can delve into and go and have a listen to. Uh, we covered all sorts of topics um, in the past from things like how to referee the scrum and, and, and what to do when it comes to in goal. Well, I'm saying that one, that one probably does need a bit of an update because there's been some law changes affecting that in the last year or so. Um, but we've also covered um, issues like the rise of the women's game. We've covered safety in, in rugby with um, blue card and concussion. We've interviewed community refs and uh, beginning beginner referees, as well as some of the big names that you'll be familiar with. We've had Wayne Barnes on the programme. We've had Craig Evans and Andy Brace talking to us in the last couple of years. Um, and also um, been really pleased to speak to um, people from World Rugby, people like Alain Brenevis and Craig Joubert, who've got some fantastic expertise um, to bring to us. So please go and have a rummage around the back catalogue. There's plenty to have a listen to. Um, and while you're doing that, it gives me a bit of time to, to think about what episodes we've got coming up. Um, we have had an amazing first half of 2023. So much rugby going on around the world. Plenty for us to get our teeth into. But also looking ahead, obviously 2023 is World Cup year. Um kicks off in France in, in September. Um, there's gonna be obviously gonna be loads of things for us to talk about and keep an eye on through the, the men's World Cup. Um, but also there's a new international women's competition, WXV. That all kicks off in the autumn as well. So there's gonna be lots of rugby for us to get uh, to keep an eye on, lots of rugby to to talk about, some incidents that I'm sure will crop up that us as match officials will be interested to know uh, what happened, why it happened and things like that. But also we're conscious that there's plenty of rugby going on around the world um, that we all referee at. Most of you listening to this will just be, will just be, will, will feel apologising for saying, um, we're community referees. We're out there refereeing uh, local rugby, wherever it is you are in the world. Um, and there's going to be plenty of things that will impact us as well as the folks um, that we see on TV. So lots of things coming up. I've got a long list of ideas and people to speak to here on my whiteboard. Um, so I'm going to get on with the case and, and catch up with people there. Um, if there are topics you want to listen to, uh, you want me to, to talk about, either for me to talk about, just one-on-one, -on -one, um, or um, ideas of people you'd like to hear from, uh, whether that's um, at the top level, whether it's at the community level, um, let me know. You guys listening, you guys and girls there listening, will know of great people that you think would make a good podcast host talking about a particular subject. So drop me a line at keith at rugbyreferee.net or find me. Um, not hard to find on the social medias either. So lots of stuff we're going to um, talk about over the next um, six months or so. Um, as I said, lots have happened since... Um, I was last here, so sorry again, it's been a while since the last episode, um, but I thought it was just worth jumping on and recording a bit of a news update piece, looking at some of the stuff that's happened that affects us as match officials, uh, or even that interests us as match officials. Um, with, there's been an official formal clarification from World Rugby on one particular subject, so we'll talk about that. Um, we've got lots of exciting appointments news, because obviously with those big competitions, we've got to find out who are the match officials that we will be watching and listening to. 
Um, there's also, talking of us um, at community level, um, there's a bunch of law trials out there that will affect many of us. So listen out for who's said what about what so far. Um, and also some trials of some new innovations around different competitions around the world that um, might be interesting to at least start to think about and prompt a discussion or some conversation around. So that's what we're going to cover today. Um, so let's kick off. So the first one uh, I think we will cover off is perhaps one of the most easiest ones. Um, there was a formal law clarification that came out from World Rugby uh, last month, if you're listening to this in June, um, which is one of those, it covers one of those freak incidents that in theory will never happen on a rugby field until it happens. Um, and when it did happen, they realised that the incident in question wasn't covered by the law book. Um, so as ever with um, the way world rugby works is that if, if something like that does happen or if there's a debate about what the law says or what it might cover, a union can ask for a formal clarification from world rugby. They'll go ahead and figure out what the answer is and they'll let everyone know. Um, and what happened in this um, particular incident, it was in a, actually happened in a sevens game, but it's relevant to, to all, um, all, all, ga- all forms of rugby. Um, is that the ball carrier was heading, carrying the ball into the corner to, to hopefully score a try. Um, he was then tackled by his opponent. Um, it was a New Zealand and South Africa sevens match. Um, and as the South African tackler made the tackle, he knocked the corner post out of the ground and it ended up lying down in in goal. So the corner flag is now in in goal. The ball carrier, in his action, reaches over, um, as he was expecting to do, to put the ball down to score a try. But instead of putting the ball on the ground or going into touch, as more often happens in these cases, he places the ball on top of the flag post that shouldn't be there. Now, of course, when when that happened, um, the time was off. They reviewed it. Um, they determined that he hadn't grounded the ball because he hadn't grounded the ball. Um, it had been held up um, and play restarted. Um, but that obviously prompted a debate and a discussion after the, the game. And it was realised that the particular, the specifics of the law around those areas didn't cover that sort of scenario. So what World Rugby have said, and, and uh, this is worth just looking at what the law, law currently says, is that um, in, in the act of scoring a try, somebody puts the ball down on a non-player, sort of a human, um, not an opponent obviously, but if it's a spectator or a sub or someone that shouldn't be there, the referee can determine what would have happened and then rule accordingly. So if they thought the try would have been scored if it wasn't for that spectator being in the way and putting on on there or it hits they ground it on the referee's foot for example what would have happened next and allows the referee to make the judgment call as to whether a try would have been scored or not scored and then to figure out what the restart was going to be but that's just a human um a thing wasn't covered in the particular wording there so what world rugby have done is said look it makes perfect common sense to draw a, a natural line across from those two two issues. So if the thing shouldn't have been there, but the ball is grounded on top of it by a player who's done nothing wrong, the, ta- the, the tackler's done nothing wrong, everyone's done everything they're supposed to do in law, but for whatever reason they've put the ball down on top of something that's not supposed to be there, then the referee can make the judgment call as to what would have happened if the thing hadn't have been there and to make the um, appropriate restart from there. So if it was going to be a try, the try can be awarded. If it was not going to be a try, then a goal line dropout or a 22 dropout, depending on which version of the game we're playing, would be the outcome. So yeah, if you head to the uh, uh, World Rugby Clarifications page, that is explained. There's a video of the incident as well, so you can actually see it. Um, it's probably never going to happen again, but at least if it does, we know what the answer should be. 
so that goes um it's not not necessarily a tmo incident um but obviously that those things are magnified when it comes to tmo usage for us as community ref referees the thing is still the same there might be something that's been left in, in in goal a tackle pad from perhaps people warming up or a water bottle or and maybe a, a bit of rubbish has blown onto the onto the pitch and the ball's been landed on it all sorts of things could in theory um crop up under that scenario so that's the the, the formal law clarification and we'll put the link in the show notes um a couple of other law issues that have cropped up um, that I thought were just worth talking about and, and talking through um, what could have been the outcome or, or what should have been the outcome. Um, one was um, from a, a URC game in South Africa uh, where the uh, chasing team, where, where a ball had been kicked through into in goal. The ball was bouncing around um, as rugby balls do in in goal. Um, the chasing player heads through into in goal um, and puts their foot ends up putting their, their foot on the um, touching goal line. So at that point, they are in touching goal. Um, we all know that a player who's in touch um, can score a try if they put if they ground the ball. Um, and that's the key words there. If they ground the ball, the ball has to be on the ground for that to happen. Um, but in this particular scenario, the ball wasn't on the ground. It was still bouncing around. Um, and the player who was chasing it, who's now got their foot on the touching goal line, forces the ball downwards onto the ground not forward um, it just goes straight down um, but because the ball is in the air um, they are deemed to have been holding the ball or carrying the ball so therefore simultaneous um, grounding kicks in so the player is holding the ball and, and simultaneously make contact with the touching goal layer or the dead ball line or anywhere beyond it the outcome according to law 21.4 is that a 20 meter dropout is awarded to the defending team so it may, this is one of those things where we as community referees have to make a, a judgment call as to whether we award the try or we clearly think it's it's not um, but when these issues are, are escalated and put on a tv screen for the tmo to look at them frame by frame and see exactly where the ball is and how that ball is it ends up on the ground so in this scenario because the ball was in the air and the the chasing player has brought that ball to the ground to score it. Um, they are deemed, um, and this goes back to a 20, 20, 2012 clarification um, in law. I know I mentioned clarifications earlier, but there was one in twenty twelve, number one in that year, where the which deemed that the player is considered to be carrying the ball, holding the ball in this case, as the ball is in the air when it is first played. So. Even though they're not carrying, they're not holding it, they're not literally have it in two hands and they're putting it on the ground, they are deemed to be doing so because the ball isn't already on the ground to, to, to ground it. So it's one of those things we just need to be aware of what the law, different law says. So you can be in touching goal um, over the line, you can be touching that ball and you can score a try by putting your hand on a ball that is just lying there and in goal might not look right, you've probably never seen it, but that in law can be awarded as a try. There's a nice picture. Um, in this scoring um, law law book that shows that happening. Um, but if the ball is in the air and that player is bringing the ball to ground, then therefore you are deemed to be holding it and therefore you can't have the try. So yeah, that, that's one particular um, law issue that cropped up, just thought it was worth talking about. Um, the other one relates to tackle law, which is, is an issue of, um, this, and this is prompting a debate, so this is one I wouldn't mind your um, input on. Um, so we all know that if... Um, a ball carrier is tackled by a, an opponent um, in the field of play. So anywhere, try line to try line. Um, 
That is a tackle. We like that. The ball carrier comes to ground. We have a textbook tackle. Any other player who's not the ball carrier and the tackler in that particular case can only get involved with what happens next by coming through from their own side, what we call through the gate, from the direction of their own try line. So they have to come through the gate to get involved in that tackle. It happens 200 times um, a, a game. We rule it really easily. Um, but there was an issue cropped up in a uh, Leicester versus Exeter game a couple of week, a couple of months ago now, um, which ultimately led to a player who committed that offence ending up receiving a red card um, by virtue of the fact that he had previously already had a yellow card, so he was, he'd, he'd been off for the field for 10 minutes and the player was, was returned, it was Ollie Woodburn, um, so he's already on a yellow card. Um, in entering that tackle zone, because he wasn't the tackler, um, he didn't come through the gate, um, didn't come in to get involved in the correct, in the correct way in law, um, and therefore, um, and what he did next prevented the ball carrier, um, it was Chris Ashton, from scoring a try. Um, so the, the ta Stuart Hogg was the tackler. Um, um, Chris Ashton was the ball carrier. They've gone, they're heading towards the try line. Um, so the tackle has been made. So the arriving player has to come in through their own gate. Ollie Woodburn didn't do that. Chris Ashton in all likelihood was going to reach out and score that try, but was prevented from doing so. So that made it a, a penalty try and a second yellow card for that particular player, Ollie Woodburn, um, who then had to leave the field. Um, and that created all manner of uproar. Carl Dixon was the referee who quite quite correctly, in my, in my view, um, made, that, made that decision in the tackle. But it raises the debate about um, how we allow, in law, players to defend a tackle or players to defend a try-scoring opportunity when, when, when everything is so dynamic. Um, there are some people after that incident who said that the, the law is terrible um, and shouldn't be allowed, so therefore we need to change the law. So the, the question I've got for you great minds listening to this is, is how would you change the law um, to kind of say that tackle law doesn't exist within the fi within five, two, three, one metre of the try line? Um, it's an interesting one to, for us to all get our heads around and figure out how we might create law that makes those things more okay because effectively it's a defender trying to stop a try from being scored but not without creating absolute carnage within that five metre um, of a goal line. So there's, there's, there's a topic for you to have a think about over the summer. Um, if you've got any bright ideas and you want to share them, um, by all means, uh, let me know. Again, email address, keith at rugbyreferee.net. Um, or head over to our um, Facebook group and come post your ideas in there. If you head to refsquad.com, the magic of the internet will redirect you to our Facebook group. Um, it's only for match officials, so if you're... Um, not a match official listening to this. I'm sorry, I won't let you in. Um, it is a bit of our safe space for, for referees and, and, and those involved in match officiating to come and talk about those sorts of things. So um, um, head to head to there. I'd really like to know what your solution to that problem um, might be. So I hope I explained that okay. Um, I think it's fairly straightforward, but created much of an uproar at the time. Right, so we've covered a formal law clarification. We've talked about two particular law issues and um, asked you a question to get involved in. So now let's um, head over to um, talk about some of the big um, World Cup appointments news that's come out in the last couple of weeks. Um, so Rugby World Cup 2023 kicks off in um, September. 
in France. Um, and it's been announced in the last couple of weeks that there will be 26 members of um, the, the refereeing match officiating team this time around. Um, same number of referees and ARs as in 2019, but they've expanded the TMO group for this particular tournament. I'll explain why in a minute. So we've got 12 referees seven assistant referees and now seven TMOs going. Um, so congratulations to everyone that's been selected there. We've we've got um, obviously the likes of Wayne Barnes, who's the, the holder of the most test appearances in refereeing history, 102 at the moment is at the time of this particular podcast. Um, he will be at his fifth Rugby World Cup. Um, and then we've got a, lot, a range of experiences um, in the referee group through to um, newbies, Nika Amashakeli from Georgia becomes the first Georgian to officiate a World Cup. Uh, we're seeing Matthew Carley, Carl Dixon and Andrew Brace all stepping up as referees, um, having all attended in 2019 as assistant referees. Um, and then we've got um, sort of re repeat World Cuppers, if you like. Um, Nick Berry from Australia, Angus Gardner, Australia. Ben O'Keefe, New Zealand. Luke Pearce joining uh, Carley and Barnes from, from uh, Team England. Um, on the refereeing stakes, Jaco Piper, um, Matthew Raynell and Paul Williams is the number 12, um, alphabetically because Williams is the end of the alphabet, um, not um, in terms of selection numbers. Um, but between that lot, they have a, amassed quite an astonishing 453 international tests amongst them. Um, astonishing, particularly if you think that Barnsley has um, over 100 of the, that lot. So lots of experience, lots uh, a good dynamic group from from lots of different countries um well, i'll come back to that in a little bit um as ever when list these lists of names come out we um as well as some of our readers um did point out we look for the names that were missing perhaps um obviously if you've got to select 12 referees you can't um, there are more than 12 referees who we might see officiating in the big set piece tournaments that we're all aware of um rugby championship um, Six Nations, that kind of thing. Um, um, and so, unfortunately, the the um, Joel Juge and his selection committee have some tough decisions to make. Um, so, there's no selection spots for Mike Adamson from Scotland or Damon Murphy from Australia, who both been involved in Six Nations um, and TRC over the last couple of years. Um, so, they won't be attending um, in in the whole group. Um, James Dolman has been um, has, has been refereeing. Um, at that level for a couple of seasons now. He will be going to World Cup but, um, with a flag in his hand um, as an assistant referee, as Matt Carley did um, last time, as I already mentioned, um, Bracey and Carl Dixon, who've been before as AR. So um, James Dolman will be there, but not as a referee. Um, I think all three will be will be obviously dis very disappointed not to be involved as referees um, and, and Mike and Damon not to be involved at all. So commiserations to them. I'm sure they will um, keep progressing. Um, and keep going in their respective countries um, and, and serving the game well. Um, so, yeah, lots of um, others perhaps who, who may have garnered a hope of, of making the AR group um, but miss out um, would include Tual Trenini from France and Frank Murphy were both, I guess, in the mix to go as ARs. Um, I talk, talked about countries there. Um, so as for nations, um, back in 2019, there was quite a lot of... Um, quite a lot of I guess fuss was made um, or angst particularly in Ireland that Ireland didn't take any referees last year with just Andy Brace going as an AR um, this time they've got four um, in the squad um, across the different roles with um, Andrew uh, in the middle and then uh, Chris Busby and 
Joey Neville and Brian McNeese into the TMO truck. So four going from Ireland this year. Uh, Wales on the other side haven't got any referees this time. Obviously Nigel um, Owens um, retired after the last World Cup um, and uh, Craig Evans will be there but with a flag and Ben Whitehouse as a TMO. And and sometimes I guess the World Cup cycles just do that to unions. Um, So you're always going to see sort of union representation going up and down. I know the French weren't particularly happy to see their, um, their numbers as small as it as, as as low as it was they potentially um, were expecting two al to be there and perhaps eric goes on as well as well as matthew Reynal and pierre brousset who goes in ar so from as a, from a country perspective there are six from england four from australia new zealand and ireland um two from france two from south africa two from wales and one each from italy and georgia um so yeah so congratulations to everyone there let me just run through the list of names i think i've mentioned most of them along the route there so assistant referees um, are Chris Busby from Ireland, Pierre Brousset from France, James Dolman already mentioned, Craig Evans already mentioned, Andrea Piardi, who refereed the URC final a couple of weeks ago from Italy, becomes their first representative for quite a number of um, World Cup cycles, so congrats to Andrea. Um, Christoph Ridley from England and Jordan Way from Australia. They are the AR group. Um, and as I mentioned there are now seven TMOs going this, this time round. Uh, we've got Brett Cronin um, from Australia, Tom Foley from England, Marius Jonker from South Africa, Brian McNeese from Ireland, Joy Neville of Ireland, Brendan Pickerell from New Zealand and Ben Whitehouse from Wales. So why the increase to seven? Well, this year you may have seen that they're going to be trialling, or potentially, the decision's not finally been made yet, um, a new off-field review system for head contact process events. So what that will mean, as well as there being a TMO on site with the the usual team of four and doing TMOE type things, there will also be one, possibly even a snifter of a room that there might be two of them each in a bunker to deal with those sort of orangey type decisions which um, they're trying to take away from the match officials being pressurised, standing on the field, having to make very snap judgment, very quick judgments um, on very contentious issues. Um, so what they're going to do is they're going to um, copy the model that's been tested in Super Rugby in in make sure that so the player will leave the field for a ten minute yellow card, but that offence can be reviewed during the ten minutes um, by those in the TMO bunker, and that can then be either left as a yellow card because they agree it's a yellow card only offence, or it can be increased to a red card. So World Rugby have said, and this is different to the Super Rugby version, that that will be a full permanent red card. Super Rugby still operate the 20-minute red card basis. Um, But that's why the TMO pool for the 2023 Rugby World Cup is seven, because there's going to be, obviously, the logistics of having people in an off-site bunker um, to to make those decisions will just need to... You need to have more TMOs available to to contribute to that um, pool, wherever that bunker may be. So that principle is going to be tested out at the world rugby under 20 junior championships which happen this summer in south africa so let's just flick over to to that group because there's there's two versions of um, under 20 competitions there's championships i've just mentioned but there's also a uh, under 20s trophy um, tournament as well so stick to the championship um there's a couple of uh, news news lines to come out of that one so holly davidson from scotland who many um were had had thought may appear in the Rugby World Cup 
um, match officials list. Um, well, she obviously didn't make that squad, um, but will be going as a referee at the Under-20 Championships. Becomes the first female to referee at the Under-20s. Um, so that's that's great to see her progress still developing, still relatively inexperienced, and, and still got plenty of time to, to get the experience that she needs. So I suspect um, this will not be the last time we see Holly's name in a um, in a global tournament list like this so congratulations to holly um other fellow females or referees who names you you'll be familiar with cat roach from the usa uh, and precious pazani from zimbabwe they will both be refereeing at the under 20 trophy which is in kenya later in the summer as well so congrats to all three of them um, another story just for the under 20 championships is, is the name of takahito namikawa from japan um, he's got an interesting story in that he played in the under 20s in the 20, 2009 and 2010 versions of the competition um, for Japan as a scrum half and uh, joins the well trodden uh, scrum half to referee route um, and spent 10 years honing his um, practice. Done a fantastic job in Japan's League One competition this year. Um, was at the under 26 nations earlier in the in the in the year um, and has been selected as part of the referee group for the under 20 championship. So congrats to him. It's um, always good to see. Um, pro players heading down the referee route um, so the full list of referees who will be there so names many will be familiar with Luke Ramos from France Angus Maybe from New Zealand Ruben Keane from Australia Ben Breakspear from Wales Holly um, Davidson from Scotland as I mentioned um, Owen Cross from Ireland Anthony Woodthorpe from England Takahito we've already mentioned Morna Ferreira from South Africa and Damien Schneider from Argentina um, finishes that list off and then we'll have uh, TMO's Matteo Lipperini from Italy, Ben Blaine from Scotland and Marius van der Westhausen from South Africa looking after that TMO and, and they'll be testing that TMO bunker process um, on site um, at those at that championship in South Africa. Um, looking at the under-20 trophy list, um, already mentioned Cat and Precious, um, but they'll be joined by Cisco Lopez from the US, um, Ricardo Santos Maria from Brazil, Robin Kalusniak from Canada, Tavita Roccavareni from Fiji, Saba Abashlavili from Georgia, and Craig Chang from Hong Kong, China. So congrats to, to all those officials who will be heading to the trophy as well. As I said, that's in Kenya later in July. Um, the other news item to come through about the under 20 championships, right? It feels like I'm, I'm going from, from one thing, bouncing around from um, one version of the under 20s to the other. So back to South Africa and the under 20 championship is that the balls that they will be using in that championship will be smart balls. Um, I mean, you may have seen if you've been watching international rugby um, in the last couple of, maybe even the last year or so, is that you've started to see in-game data coming out of um, a smart ball. And that has a microchip in the ball, um, various beacons and, and data measuring um, things, whatever the technology is, I'm sure the thing is not the word, but we'll perhaps get into that in a future podcast, um, to, to monitor the way the ball is kicked how far it's kicked how how high it how what the the hang of the ball is when it goes up before it comes down again all those sorts of things how um how fast the passes are how who's doing what um, meterage in a game all those sorts of things come from the the data in the ball um so as part of a sort of a look at innovation and future innovation the chip in the ball will actually be used for the first time to help referees out 
Um, and there's a number of um, areas that they're going to be doing that. So it's going to be looking at literally where the ball is, particularly around the dry line. Perhaps if there's a pile of bodies and um, there's some doubt about where whether the ball has reached the line, um, particularly as we're looking at TMO calls and, um, and, and tries being scored or not scored, um, they'll be able to use the chip in the ball to identify whether the ball has reached in goal or not. Um, they're also going to be able to see whether the ball was touched in flight because, of course, the, the ball will change um, shape and, and rotation. Um, so it, it will know and it will help ARs and, and, and match officials to know whether that ball has been touched. Um, it will help identify whether the ball, the, the, the line of touch um, is, is, is given where the ball actually crosses the line. We'll be able to calibrate those two things. Um, and also, somewhat controversially, it will be able to give a reading as to whether a pass is, is forward or not. Um, and this is where I, those last two are, are ones that I think um, we need to just have a little bit of caution there. Oh, and there's a th sorry, there is an extra one as well, and that is whether the line out, uh, a throw into the line out is straight or not. Again, another one that's slightly um, um, interesting to, to as a principle as to whether we want to, to head down that route. So let's just uh, talk about those three. So when a line out is thrown in, um, obviously, the, in law, the the ball should be should be thrown straight down the line of touch, which is down the line of those two lines of forwards that we've set a meter apart from each other. Um, but back in the real world, we often factor in a number of other things to determine whether we're going to allow that ball to be thrown in not quite as straight as as the law book says. It might be that it's windy. It might be that the 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 defensive tactic of one team is never to compete for the ball in the air, but to compete for it once that ball hits the ground. So therefore, if a team is never going to jump up into the air to compete for the ball, does it really matter if the ball isn't thrown perfectly straight down the middle? And those are decisions that we as match officials and referees take at all levels of the game um, every week. So having having a piece of technology that tells us that the ball wasn't thrown in straight isn't necessarily going to help match officials but it's again these are these are innovative ways of just seeing what the data tells us and whether it can help us let's look at line out location so the ball the data will show us where the exactly where the ball crosses the line of touch and therefore where the line out should be but sometimes we know as referees that we we are prepared to sacrifice a meter or so of of accuracy on, on that particular position if it means that we can put one of those two lines in a line out on one of the lines of the pitch. So we would we obviously don't want to have, when it comes to a 22, a line out on the 22 meter line in the middle because we have to determine, it makes it harder to determine whether a ball has gone been taken back into the 22 in terms of the next kick into touch. Same around halfway line when it comes to 50-22. So we all know as uh, match officials, and it's just easier, isn't it, to put a defensive line on the line out on the line, and then you can more easily see as a referee whether that side has then closed the gap or it's the other side that have closed the gap because you've got one line on a on a perfectly straight line. So uh, again, refereeing accuracy versus referee management um, is, is something that we, we might want to trade off all the time. But I think the one that's really more controversial and one that I'm... I'm personally more concerned about is how the technology can determine if a ball um, is thrown forward and that views that phrase deliberately because throw forward is what the bit of law is that we're talking about when we're talking about how that ball moves across the pitch you are not allowed to throw the ball forward in rugby union sometimes we will throw the ball backwards we will pass the ball backwards to a teammate and by virtue of physics the ball will travel forwards that we all know as referees is not a forward pass 
it's not a throw forward because it clearly wasn't thrown forward. Um, but the ball will show, and if there's a chip in the ball, um, my concern is that we will ha start to see graphics and we'll start to see rulings based on the ball travelling direction and not the way it was passed. Um, and that's um, something I think we I would like to speak to and, and perhaps get the, the, the folk from Gilbert, who are the ball manufacturer, and Sportable, who are the technology provider around that, to come on and explain it to them. How are they going to, to measure those things and, and what, what elements of, of, of technology and rotation are, are they going to use to determine whether that ball has been thrown backwards or forwards? Um, so that's just something, those are the sort of five or six areas where this smart ball will be used in South Africa. Um, at the Junior um, World Championships. Um, the information will be fed into the TMO, who will then decide to relay whether or not to relay that to the referee. Uh, again, which brings in a, a bit of a time delay, and it needs to be a credible input into the referee. And I think one of the things they are looking at in the future is how that, perhaps the, the ball not being thrown in straight, can be instantly alerted to the referee. In the similar way that in football, when the chip in the ball detects that it's crossed the goal line, the watch that the referee is wearing vibrates to alert them to the fact that the ball has crossed the line. So whether that there's some form of instant um, relay to the, to the referee rather than having to go through the TMO. But that's just something I think the technology will develop in time. Um, as ever with these things, look, it's innovation. We can always say, look, technology isn't, isn't for us as referees. Referees an art, not a science, and I'm very much a proponent of that. But sometimes the the, the science can help us determine um, and, and make our determine what the answer should be um, and help us to make better, more accurate decisions. Um, so yeah, interesting one to follow, and it'd be really uh, interesting to see how that um, trial develops um, in South Africa in the summer. Oh. And finally, the, the final thing I wanted to talk about is, is something that will affect many listeners to this um, who, who won't be involved in lots of the things we've already talked about so far. Um, there is a drive across uh, the, the global rugby world to reduce the tackle height, to re reduce the number of concussions that are still being um, faced and received by players of all levels of the game um, on rugby pitches all over the world. Um, so... You'll be, I'm sure you've followed the, the increase in concussion, the, the news stories, the court cases that are happening all over the world about this kind of thing. And that means that rugby has to look at changing and to become more safe whilst accepting that we are a contact sport. Um, so World Rugby has decided to have a globe, an opt-in global law trial for the coming few seasons where unions can determine... To lower where to at what level to reduce the tackle height to. At the moment, in law, um, a high tackle is anything above the shoulders, even if it starts below the shoulders. Um, there are already unions who have reduced that that line, that high tackle line, to the waist, particularly in France, um, or to the sternum. Which, if you're if you're wondering where that that is, if you put your hand in the middle of your chest where your heart is and feel down, it's the bottom of the sternum is where the ribs at the bottom of the ribs come. So it's kind of at the top of the belly. That's the um, if you look at um, a skeleton, you'll see it's the bits the long vertical bone that sort of starts somewhere up near your um, near your throat and ends up somewhere in, in, just beneath the nipple height around around the top of your lungs. So I'm literally doing it now as I'm talking into a podcast mic and um, so it's around there so we're trying to make sure that the tackle height is lower so it's into the softer parts of our um, our anatomies for some of us it's softer um, than in others um, but 
encouraging the tackler to, to get lower so that we're taking heads away from heads, we're taking shoulders away from heads, um, is the driver around this. So who's said what so far? Um, so if you're in France, it's been a, this has been a there's been a, a sorry I should just preface by saying this is all about the community game. Um, there's a this, there's a separate package of safety measures being undertaken in, in the elite end of the game um, and I know many of you will um, raise eyebrows about the success or not success of that um, but that's for another day. We did c cover this in a previous episode with, with Mike Hester from New Zealand um, which I'll come on to in a minute where we talked about the difference between community and elite games so we touched on that there we may revisit that in the future um, but for the, for the purpose of the global law trials we're looking at lowering the tackle height this will be in the community game um, in the unions who decide to participate in it so you need to keep your ears and eyes open if you haven't already um, to the union where you are listening to this and to, to, to see what they may choose to do or, or not to do many unions will say no we're going to stick with um, sh with the uh, sh the shoulder as the as the high tackle point other unions will determine that they want to reduce it to either waist or sternum so what, what's happened so far? So France, for the last couple of years, have already moved to a waist-high tackle um, height level in their community game. Um, so it's waist, which is obviously much lower than, than the sternum. Um, and, and that came about after a number of fatalities in the French game linked to higher tackles and, um, and, and chest-high tackles. They reduced it even further under pressure from, their, from, the, from the government in, in France. Um, and they've been doing that quite successfully now for a couple of years, even for COVID, uh, during the COVID years, the, the impact that that has had in that game, uh, in the game, in, in actual, the, the game of rugby around that has been a positive, as the French um, data tells us, as their their own research um, is, is showing it, showing it a better game, a faster game, more offloads, more tries, less concussion, less injuries. Um, so, so that's what France are doing. They also do not allow a ball carrier to dip into contact, and they don't allow double tackles of any nature at all. So that's what's already happening in play in France. Um, if you're in France or if you've watched French rugby, I'd love to know what you think of that. So, so again, let us know. So that's France. New Zealand, we're, as we record this, we're a couple of months now into their season where they've been using a tackle height at the sternum. Um, they have no other restrictions around around the other laws of the games. So there's no restriction on double tackles. There's no restriction on dipping into contact. Um, they obviously don't want people to do any of those things, but there's no um, formal sanction um, if they do. Um, as I just alluded to, Mike Hester from New Zealand Rugby joined us in a previous episode um, to talk about that particular trial. So if you're in New Zealand, go and listen to that. If you're not in New Zealand, you still want to listen to what Mike had to say. It was a really good conversation. Um, so that's France and New Zealand. In England, in Scotland, and recently in Ireland, they have all announced that they will be moving to a sternum height, tackle height, for the, for the new season from August and September 2023, um, for at least one season or two. Um, so, so they're all going to the sternum, then the, the unions are doing slightly different things for other areas of the game. So the RFU have specifically written into a law application guideline that they, are, they will penalise any player who drops their height into contact um, Scotland haven't done that there's no formal sanction for that but they're obviously encouraging that not to happen um, Ireland have said that they will add head contact to dangerous play if a player leads with their head at the moment law 911 says that if a player leads with the forearm or, or, or dangerously into contact thing or with their um, 
sorry, if they lead into into a dangerous way, um, then that with shoulder, forearm, knee, leg, um, then that is illegal. They are going. So the island will be adding the head to that list. So if if a player dips into contact and that causes head contact, that will be a sanctionable offence um, in Ireland. When it comes to double tackles, England, New Zealand, Ireland, and Scotland are all saying double tackles are okay. But both of those tackles must be below the sternum if they're going to if they're going to to be a tackle. Um, all of them have said around the goal line, a pick and go doesn't count, won't be included, because they recognise that the speeds involved and the forces involved around those pick and go scenarios mean that the the risk is of head contact, and if it happens, is much lower, and there's less risk of a concussion happening because the the speeds and forces are much lower, so they're not stopping a pick and go um, a dive to the, to score a try or a move to score a try in that scenario which obviously leads the ball to be going forward and therefore the the, the ball carrier to be the heads to be going towards the ground because that's how you go from upright to down to score a try um, but obviously if, they, if they're going to make a tackle they must both be below the sternum um, those other leagues have also said that a player who is going to rip the ball that's not a tackle because they're going to just rip the ball. So I approach you, I just literally go and rip the ball out of you. That's not a tackle. So isn't treated as a um, as a high tackle. So um, that that's a sort of basic summary of what those unions have said. We're expecting other unions to do the same. So Wales are currently consulting. Um, USA Rugby are currently consulting. Japan are currently consulting. Australia are currently consulting with their stakeholders. So if you're involved in that process, let your union know what you think of those proposals. Um, and feed into that um, all the unions are offering some form of consultation process where um, they're getting all rugby stakeholders so match officials players coaches um, spectators medics or everyone to, to contribute to the discussions to to understand the whys and the the why whereabouts what the data from different trials has shown them and, and kind of helping people to understand the why behind these measures um, and of course the, the the why is to make sure that people um don't suffer long-term head injuries by virtue of multiple concussions or even a single concussion. We want to make um, make sure that the benefits of rugby that we all know and love, um, the benefits that we all get from regular getting together, regular exercise, keeping fit, um, the camaraderie that goes with that, the team ethic, the community that we have around rugby, isn't at the expense. Um, is isn't on one side of the um, the seesaw and head contact and degenerative head um, head injuries and, and um, long-term health concerns that benefit off we've got to make sure that all those things um, are taken into consideration and that's the why behind lowering the tackle height trial so so get involved in your union and um, keep an eye on your union's um, policies and, and they're they're all creating resource hubs so that you to help you to understand the whys that we've just talked about but then the practicalities, how are we supposed to referee it? What are the specific elements in, in each country that you're going to be asked to referee on your rugby pitch when it comes to it um, and comes to that? So, so please look out um, for that information in your country. Get involved in it. Get your head around it. Excuse the pun. Um, think about how you're going to referee it, what pitches you want to see, how you're going to communicate it. Um, contribute to the debates and discussions go to the workshops go to the um, the training sessions that are going to be ha um, held and um, we again would love to be part of that conversation with you if you want to come over to our facebook group and have those conversations it's refsquad.com we'll get you there um, if you want to 
contribute and have a discussion with us on 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 any other social media platform um, we're there so rugby referee net is our handle um, if you want to find me Keith Lewis rugby is where you'll find me um, I'd love to know what you think what you still are concerned about what questions you might still have um, and all those sorts of things so so, so lots of things going on there um, in our respective unions around around the world many of you listening to it will be impacted by that so um, a good window coming up now particularly if you're in your off season to to look to think to consider um, and and figure out how you're going to referee it next year and get involved in the discussion with your local rugby communities referee groups your clubs your coaches um, all the people that you might come across on a on a month by month basis so um, lots of stuff we've covered there on that episode normally an advantage over podcast is is me talking to somebody else rather than me talking to you and um, we've done it for about 45 minutes so far so lots of stuff to cover um, as you can tell there's loads going on i'm passionate about refereeing and helping you all to understand what's going on to to, to kind of help you through the refereeing journey um, to bring you the advice that hopefully we can help you with whether that's from me whether it's from others in the referee community whether it's from the, the boys and, and girls at the elite end um, and we've got some fantastic people around our refereeing world so um, thanks for listening please do let me know if you've got any questions concerns any ideas for future episodes um, and I'd love you to, to share your thoughts um, across our social media platform so thanks very much for listening and um, we'll see you soon um, and that for now is advantage over Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast this is the only rugby referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyreferee.net, which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well. We're in all those places, so please do let us know what you think, let us know what you want, um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future. So for now, that is Advantage Over. <laughs>